Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the book of Philippians. In this book, Paul calls the church in Philippi to live lives that reflect Christ, even in times of persecution. Remembering this, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Now, he couldn't even have this attitude about life if he wouldn't die, right? But because he's died, now he looks at life and says, okay, let's start over. I've died, so what's this all about? What am I here for? What's my purpose on this earth? To, to, to acquire a fortune? To have a great family? To, to, to have big things? To go on vacations? To do all these things? Is that what I'm here for? What am I here for? And he says, you know what? Well, if I continue on the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. I'm here for the Lord. I'm here to serve Him. I'm here to, to bear good fruit for His kingdom through my life on this earth. Do we understand that? Do we get that? See, if we did, then we wouldn't have all the admonitions that we have in Scripture. If God's people would get that, we wouldn't find the Scriptures that seem to challenge us about how we view the world. I mean, listen, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Do you think that if we truly understood, I mean, do you think if we truly understood (laughs) living our lives on this earth is not about us, it's not about the things of this earth, but it's about God's kingdom, that we would need a scripture like that? Do you think God would ever put it there? No. But he put it there because he knew our hearts. He knew that that's not our tendency. And so he challenges us with it. He says, look, you're not here to be in love with the world. You're not here to be in love with it. Now, that's not to say that God is saying, uh, make yourself, you know, like those guys that walk around and they, they deprive themselves of everything. That's not the point. I mean, Jesus, Jesus enjoyed life. Look at him in the scriptures. He enjoyed life. He enjoyed fellowshipping with people. The disciples engaged in things. There's no question about it. God's not saying you have to withdraw yourself from everything, but he's saying even as you enjoy the things of this world, don't let those things become the priority of your life. I love football. Today's my big day, all right? I love go Broncos. It's great. Yeah. If you didn't say go Broncos, you're wrong, okay? God loves Peyton Manning. But you know what? That game's going to be over three hours after it starts. And while that game's on and I'm cheering my heart out, I'm not forgetting what I'm here for. And my life won't be about making sure it could be there. If that game were being played right now, I'm sorry, I would be here. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd be here. I do this. There are things in life that we enjoy, and God has blessed us with them. But at the end of it all, those things cannot be the things that draw us. Because if they are, it's a clear indicator that we have not died. And because we have not died, we're not being useful. Paul says, my life is about Jesus. My life is about bearing fruit for his kingdom. My life is about investing in his people. My life is about the things that he loves. 
writes in James 4.4, 4, James 4.4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow, it can't be clearer than that. You can't have two masters and serve both, Jesus said. I think of this one, and I think that we live in a time when the church is, is endorsing adultery in this regard, where the church is becoming so worldly and presenting to people so much of the world that, that it's almost like, you know, it's trying to lead you into the world, not away from it. The scriptures are trying to lead us away from it in our hearts. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's the treasure of your heart? Look at the things that you invest your life in. It's a measure. It just is. It is. I'm not trying to guilt anybody out. I'm just saying it's, it's a fair measure. What is it you're investing your life in? Because it's a measure. And finally, Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Jesus says this, Matthew 6, 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Yeah, there's things we do in this world. There's things we apply ourselves to in this world. But seek first the kingdom of God. Make him the first priority. But you see, if this weren't a problem for us, we wouldn't have all these scriptures and a whole bunch more that deal with it. But God knows our hearts. He knows that this is our tendency. Paul says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. I'm here for Jesus. So if, if God chooses to keep me alive on this earth, well, then it's for his purposes, and that's what I'm going to commit myself to. And then he says, yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Verse 23, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul's literally saying there that he's conflicted. He's conflicted. He's conflicted between wanting to remain alive here on the earth and his desire for his life to end so that he could go and be with Jesus. I heard some of you guys say this. I heard some of you guys say this in conversations. You know what? I just wish Jesus would take me today. And I don't mean out of frustration. I've said that out of frustration. Man, Jesus, just come right now. I've had it. I mean, I've heard people sincerely say with all their hearts, man, if he just brought it on right now and I dropped over, praise the Lord, I'd be with him. That's Paul's heart. He's saying, man, I'm conflicted by this. Literally saying, conflicted so much that both of these sides are exerting equal force on him, pulling him in two directions so much so that he's almost paralyzed between deciding between the two and where he ought to be. Wust in his commentary said this, there is an equal pressure being exerted from both sides from the desire for continued life and from the desire for death. Paul was perplexed, held in, kept back from decision. There was a strong pressure bearing upon him from both sides, keeping him erect and motionless. Now, with that said, Paul was not conflicted about this for the same reasons that we tend to be conflicted. Paul wasn't conflicted because he's thinking about, you know what, well, gee, if he takes me now, well, I ain't going to get to do this, and I'm not going to get to go do that, and I really want to take that cruise, and, you know, I really want to see my kids one day grow up. That's not the conflicting he has in his soul. Paul was conflicted because of what it meant to God's work on earth. 
because of what he was engaged in, what he was seeing. In particular, right now, as he's writing to the Philippian believers, to, to the fruit that's being born in their lives. That's the connection. And Paul's saying, you know, if he takes me, I'm not going to get to do what he sent me here for you with you guys. I'm not going to get to see the fruit of the labor that I'm putting into you and to continue to encourage you and grow you and do those things. I understand that's a pastor's heart. When I get a cold, I feel like I'm dying. And I lay on that couch and go, take me, Lord. <laughs> take me now. <laughs> this is so bad. I can't touch <laughs> you. I can't stand it. I'm joking, but I, I, at the same time, I do feel that way. But you know what the truth is? When I do think about death, and, and the older I get, the more I think about it. You know, and thinking, yeah, I will get to see Jesus. That would be pretty awesome. But then I think of you. Then I think of you, and I think of, of what God's doing in you, and I think of the opportunities that God has given me with you, and seeing others rise up. And I look at this work, and I say, well, Lord, where's the next person here? Who's the one that you're raising up behind? I have no problem with that. He can do that, but I haven't seen it yet. And so it's like, Lord, don't, don't do something that would change the direction for these sheep that you don't want changed. I, I want to be with them. I want to fellowship with them. It's not that it's the thousand things I didn't get to do. It's the things that, for Paul, for us, should be about what it is that Jesus wants us to do here and why we're here, and that's why he's conflicted. In Paul's mind, there was no other reason to be on the earth than for that purpose, nothing else. It was about Jesus. Do you get that? And that's why he's conflicted. So he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart. I like that, depart. That literally means, in the Greek, if you render it out, means to strike his tent and leave. Strike his tent and go home. That's what it means. Now, I got that. As soon as I saw that, I thought to myself, man, that's just like the army. We used to go out in these major exercises. We'd go out for weeks on end, you know, uh, when you're out there for two, three weeks and the, the term is index. When they call index, they come over there, index over the radio. It means you can go home now. So we pull up our tents. I'll tell you what, we never broke down camp so fast as you did in those moments. Pack your gear. You're out of there. We're all going home. Couldn't wait to go home. Couldn't wait to go home, see the family. Couldn't wait to go home. Just couldn't wait to be at home. That's what Paul's expressing. He's saying, man, I am hard pressed. I have this desire to just here index called the great index of my life to, to, to pull the stakes on my tent and go home. I want to go home. I want to see the Lord. And yet Paul's saying, you know what? Even though I want to go home, at the same time, there's a part of me that wants to be here with you guys. And I understand that too. There was a camaraderie that we had. There was that camaraderie, that fellowship that we had together, that, that, that we served together out there. And, and there was a special time for us as officers and soldiers to be together. But you know what? In the end, it just kind of pulled you in both directions. But he says, For I am hard-pressed between the two. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. It's more needful for you. Paul, Paul's earthly life was more, more needful for them, not more needful for Paul himself. You see, therein is the difference of attitude. And therein you can contrast our lives with the way he was looking at this, why he wanted to stay. It wasn't about the needfulness for his own life, the things he wanted for his life. It was the things that he wanted for them, the things that he wanted for God. And so he's saying, look, you know what? If, if, if there's things I can still do for the Lord, then I want to be here to do them. And when there's no more for me to do, then I'm ready to go. Hmm. It's Jesus' attitude. It's Jesus' attitude. He invested his time. 
And you can say, well, he was the son of God. That's what he came for. Listen, Jesus set the example, and he came and he invested. He invested in the people. He invested in the things of the Lord. He invested himself with the time that he had on this earth. He used his time to be needful to others, for you and me, even people he hadn't met yet, for us. Verse 25, and being confident of this, being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of the faith. Paul tells him that he believes that his time on earth isn't yet finished. That's what he's saying. I don't think I'm done. Yeah, I'm in chains, but I don't think I'm going to get executed just yet. I just have this sense whether, whether this is foreknowledge the Lord is giving him. I don't know. Maybe it is. But Paul's saying, you know what? I don't think, I don't think my time's done. There's still work for us to be done. And, and it's work together that we're going to do together, he's saying to the Philippian believers. I think this is important. Paul clearly was a man who believed with his whole heart that the servant of the Lord is immortal until his work is done. He believed that he's immortal until his work is done. Do you know that? Do you know that you're immortal until your work is done? We worry about everything we can catch and die. We worry about what can happen every time we get on the road. And it certainly can. Now, I'm not talking about foolishness where we defy God's will and just go out and blatantly throw ourselves in front of a truck. I mean, if you throw yourself in front of a truck, I don't care where you are on the timeline of his purposes, you're going to get run over, okay? It's just going to happen. But if you're living in God's will, if you're living according to his will, your heart is in him, you're immortal until you're done. Now, you don't know when that is. You and I don't know when that is, but I promise you this, you are invincible until that happens. And Paul understood that. So here he is in chains to the Romans, and he's saying, okay, they can put me in chains, they can threaten me with death, but they can't take it until I'm done doing what the Lord has put me here to do. Think about that for a minute. Think about your own lives. You are here for a reason. I don't mean here. I mean, you're on this earth for a reason. You're on this planet for a reason beyond yourselves. And you will not depart here one second before that purpose has been accomplished if you're walking in the Lord. Listen to what Psalm 139 verse 16 says. It's, it's kind of a subtle way of getting at this, but it absolutely is saying this. Psalm 139 verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. Do you know what the writer's saying here? He's saying that, Lord, you laid out the days of my life. You knew the length of it, the span of it. You knew the things that you wanted me here for. You put them in motion even before I was born. Think about that. Think about that. Do you, before I... I'm an adopted kid. I mean, I, I'm one of those people who always say, praise God that abortion wasn't legal, you know, back in the 50s, because I probably wouldn't be here today. But I am here today. But even before I was born, even before whoever my biological mother was that got in that relationship with that guy she wasn't married to and had me, even before that happened, God had already ordained my life. He knew I'd be up here. when He knew this day would be here when I'd be sharing this message with you. He knew that. He laid that out. And he's laying it out for you if we'll bring ourselves in line with it. Look, you know my view about, you know, predestination. You know, I'm not a predestination, guys, when it comes to salvation. I don't believe God creates some for heaven and some for hell. And sorry if you're in the hell bunch, but that's just the way it is, and it's God's good grace. That's his choice to do that. That's not the God that we see in the Scriptures. He's clearly not there. No time to go into that this morning, but just set that aside. But I do believe this. I do believe for predestination for the believer. 
I believe when you look at many of the predestination passages, when they're spoken of, they're spoken in context of the believer, of the person in Christ. Once you put your faith in Christ, you've laid down your life, right? So if you've laid down your life in that moment, somebody else is getting to call the steps of your life. It doesn't mean he's not giving you choice in the process, but he's still got some clear steps laid out for you. And he knew it before. He knew the choice you were going to make, and that's not predestination. He knew the choice you'd make for him. He knew that because of his omniscience. He knew it. But yet at the same time, he laid it out. You have a reason for being here. You have a reason. You know, the hippies, the hippies got it better than we do. Back in the 60s when Calvary Chapel first started and Pastor Chuck was going down to the beach and sharing the gospel with him because he's often said it. He was going down to a group of people who were asking the basic question of why am I here? And they weren't getting the answer from the world. Why am I here? My, how things have changed, haven't they? Today, we're looking to the world for the answers. And we're thinking the world's giving them to us. And the church is importing them and offering that as the solution and the answer. But all these hippies got saved because they found the reason why they were here. But they found it in the scriptures. You and I need to be asking the Lord, What's, why am I here? Why do you put me here? Because once he begins to show you that and you begin to walk it out, praise the Lord, you're invincible until that moment is finished when you've accomplished what it is that he's placed you here to do. At whatever age that is. Hmm. He says, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul is saying that he knows that his his remaining alive will prove to be a cause of rejoicing in their lives. What an awesome relationship Paul shares with these people. What an awesome relationship he enjoys with these believers and what an important point Paul is making for all of us in regard to our relationship with one another in Jesus. Think about this. Jesus is the sphere in which these blessings are being enjoyed. What he's saying is, I've got Jesus in common with you and because of that, we have this fellowship and because of that, my being with you and you being with me, there's cause for rejoicing. There's an abundance. I can come back to you one day and you know what? There's going to be a blessing in that for you. Paul's not being haughty and saying, I'm such a great guy, you're just blessed to have me. What Paul's saying is he knows because of what they share and, and, and because of the way he's living his life of investing in Jesus' things by investing in them, that they're going to rejoice, that there can be fruit and that fruit is going to bring joy in their lives and not only a little but an abundant joy. Our joy is meant, our joy in Jesus is meant to, to be enjoyed together. Do you understand that? I have joy in Christ. I have joy personally in Christ. The day I placed my life in him, I had a joy that came into my heart that I didn't have before that of knowing what he did for me. But I'm just going to tell you this, the greatest joy in Jesus that I have is when I am in fellowship with other believers. And that's a biblical principle because listen, 1 John 4.12 says this, 1 John 4.12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Do you want to know the love of God? Then stay in fellowship with each other. Do you want to see Jesus at work in this world, in, in, in your presence? Then stay in fellowship with one another. 
Because what he's saying, what John is saying here, is that it, we see God through each other. It's, it's, he's here. It's not that you're God, but if his spirit is in you, when we're together and his spirit's in me, wow, have we just multiplied the factor of his presence. That's why we have the verse that says where two or three are gathered. I am there in the midst of them. Does it mean he's not there with you individually? No. No, he is. But he's saying where two or three are gathered, I am really there in the midst of them. My presence is more fully known. As you fellowship, and by the way, I was blessed last week when I walked out of here. I just kind of walked down the hall. Man, you guys were just, you were getting that last week because everybody was just fellowship and hanging out and talking to one another and trying to bless each other. Keep it up because as you do that, you'll be blessed in return because you'll just sense God's presence as you fellowship with one another. The whole thing, and Paul's starting to make a transition here. We're not going to get into this week, but you know, I am a firm believer in the local body of believers. I just am. And, and I think when you look at the New Testament and you look at the writings and you look at the book of Acts, everything that, that was being done and what God was doing in the New Covenant was being done in the context of the local body of believers. We're all members of the church universal, which is awesome, but the truth is... I'm blessed by my brother in India, but I'm not fellowshipping with my brother of India because I'm not in India, but I'm here in this community. There are people today in, in Christianity who are making their Christianity about the church universal in the sense that, well, I really don't need to be tied down to some local body. I don't need to go someplace to church. I just turn on TV or I listen to it on the radio or I go to that conference, I'll go to that. But I'm telling you, there's something being lost in that. There's something not biblical in that. Not saying that conferences are unbiblical. Not saying that. Not saying that listening to a TV preacher is unbiblical. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's unbiblical to get the attitude that says I can do my Christian thing and, and, and experience this abundant life and joy that God has for me apart from being part of a local body of believers. One of the things that I'm blessed by is that we are just a right-sized group to have this kind of interaction with one another and to, to know each other and, and to be grown by that. That's why I've often said, you know, if God did the unthinkable and he just exploded this place with lots of people, my heart would be, push them out. Let's get, let's, get, let's get local bodies established so that that can continue instead of we all get lost in the crowd. God wanted this intimacy. He wanted us to be together. And Paul has that with them. Now, granted, Paul was kind of the traveling preacher in a sense because he was planning. He was a church planner, but he spent time with these guys. And you know that from the writings. Paul spent time with those fellowships that he was planting. He was training up their leaders and he was fellowshipping with them. And Paul's got this relationship with them that says, man, this is what it's about. It's when we're together that we know the abundant joy of the Lord. And God's going to bring me out so we can experience that together again. You guys, you guys, some, I, I hope you know what you have here. I hope you, I'm not talking about what I'm giving. I'm talking about, I hope you all know what you have together in this place. So there's a lot of Christians that don't have this or are experiencing this. You have a special relationship that God has given you the opportunity to have with one another here in this little church. You have the opportunity to, to hear God's word taught and then to talk about it amongst one another and encourage each other and apply it and, and, and be there side by side with each other, encouraging each other on in it. You have something really special. You can know this joy that Paul's saying that, that he knows that they're going to have as they fellowship together and with him. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. I hope that Every week, 
as you get in your cars to come here. It isn't, and it's Sunday, I got to go again. <laughs> I do that sometimes. Sunday, I got to go down there again. <laughs> Only on a bad day. But I hope what you're thinking is, man, I can't wait. I can't wait to see this person and that person. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what God speaks this morning. I can't wait to see how I can encourage somebody this morning. And make it about them, not you. That's what Paul was doing. He's making it about the others. When you get in your car, make it about serving somebody else. Lord, I can't wait to get there so I can see how you're going to have me bless that brother or sister that I don't even know I'm going to get to bless today. Show me what I can do for them. See, that's what Paul was doing. And he's saying there's joy in that. There's joy that comes from it. But I promise you this, as you bless, you'll be blessed in return. It's not coming back void to your life. This is special. This is really good. And it's scriptural. And Paul's saying it's scriptural. But now he turns the corner. He says in verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we'll talk about that next week because what he's saying here is in light of these things, Here's, here's what ought to be happening in your life. Here's what this ought to be triggering you to do. Look at what God's doing through my circumstances. Look what the hope I'm giving you. Look at the, my life, what I'm saying about life and how we should be living it. And you know what? I'm going to come back and we're going to fellowship together. But in light of that, here's what I, I'm encouraging you to do. So we'll pick up there next week. Why don't you stand and let's pray. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.